Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, May 17th, the Great Grandma Name Debate Edition. I'm Carvel Wallace, the writer and podcaster in the Bay Area, and I'm the father of Ezra, who is 15, and Georgia, who is 12. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and I am a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 16, Teddy, who is 15, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 17. And uh, I'm Isaac Butler. I am a writer and podcast here in Brooklyn, New York, and dad to Iris, who is three and a half. Gabe is out sick today, so he's not going to be with us this week. But stepping in is Slate podcasting all-star Isaac Butler, author of The World Only Spins Forward, The Ascent of Angels in America, and host of the brand new podcast, Lend Me Your Ears, which is about Shakespeare and politics. Um, Isaac, once you gave us a breakfast fail in one of our plus segments, but this is your mom and dad, our fighting co-host debut. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Today, we'll be discussing listener questions about the frustrations of finding other parents to commiserate with, and we are going to wade into the great grandma name debate that is jumping off on our Facebook page, uh, and we're going to handle that here today. But first, triumphs and fails. Rebecca, what do you have this week, a triumph or a fail? I've got a triumph, and I feel like, uh, Carvel, I owe a lot of this to you insofar as that I used to admire you for this kind of thing all the time and be like, how is this possible? And now I finally can relate. Uh, and I, I think I thought it was possible because of you. So um, we had, my husband and I, had dinner on Friday night with his ex-wife just the three of us. And the purpose of the dinner was to just talk about and share some ideas around uh, Lily, my stepdaughter's, uh, is going to college next year. And we wanted to talk through some of the logistics of, you know, paying for it and the moving stuff and just sort of the um, kind of general, the parenting stuff we have to do around a kid going to college. But also it was just a really nice social time. And if you had told me two years ago, even three years ago, that there'd be a time where I would look forward to and then sit down for dinner with uh, my stepdaughter's mom, my husband's ex-wife, in case I just want to drive home the point of what <laughs> these relationships are. Um, <laughs> Is that what that means? I've yes, always I would have been, about that. <laughs> I would have been uh, shocked, surprised, and thought it would have been impossible to do that and have it be anything but completely awkward and weird. And it really, really wasn't. It was just really nice. And we were sharing stories about Lily through the years. We talked really openly about, you know, some of the awkwardness she used to have at uh, at our house, at Kevin and my house, when right after the divorce, when we first got together. And it was just really nice. I mean, it wasn't like anything like, and then everything was different. I mean, things have been pleasant and nice and comfortable for a while in terms of us being able to collaborate and co-parent. But this was like next level, like Bay Area, West Coast, enlightened nice in a way that I've always said to you, Carvel, like, 
when I hear about <laughs> the relationship, you know, that you really work very hard at with your ex and, you know, the, the very peaceful way that you guys transact and communicate around your kids. Um, and I've always thought like, wow, that's like bananas. Like, I just can't relate. But I feel like I'm kind of there, uh, at least in this relationship. I can't say the same for all of my, um, you know, ex sort of relationships in this regard. But like with this one, we're there and it's really, really great. So it's a huge triumph. Obviously, only benefit will come to Lily as a result of this. You know, to have uh, parents that are all on the same page who can communicate yeah. openly about things like money um, and stuff yeah. like that. Like those are the hardest things to talk about. And, and we're there and it's really cool. Wow. Yeah. That is awesome. Congratulations. And um, what well, like what do you think changed that allowed that to happen? Like at least for you. Well, it all actually started when Lily turned 16 and her mom was planning a uh, sweet 16 party for her. And uh-huh. that was when I realized, you know, this was like almost 2 years ago that the system of communication we had, which was basically like she would talk to Kevin and then Kevin would translate to me. And so I would get like a filtered version of everything that Patty was trying to accomplish or do or messages she kind of wanted to send in terms of being able to coordinate. And the one thing that Lily wanted that Patty said, like that I could be assigned to basically like just to help with a party was Lily wanted a candy table. And I didn't really know what that was. I had to end up looking it up on like what? Pinterest or whatever. Um, okay, and then hold I on. realized. What is it? <laughs> It's basically like, it's a thing that kids have at parties sometimes where they set up like a buffet, but it's just like a fun display of like candy, like jars of, you know, M&Ms and, you know, but you can make it, you know, you can be really. So it's like a salad bar, but for candy. With candy. Right. And, you know, so, but I realized through all this communication around Lily's party that like. Kevin sucks at this stuff. Like he sucks at <laughs> logistics. He sucks at planning. He sucks at just thinking about like how much lead time you need to get something done. And I took a step back then and emailed her and said, here's the thing. You and I have obviously never been like super tight, but I just feel like this would get done a lot easy- more easily if we just directly communicated with each other. And it went so well. And it just like, it just sort of like blew the doors off of everything that we just circumvent Kevin mm. like routinely now. Like we don't involve him in like half the stuff that's going on uh, in terms of logistics and conversations that happen around Lily because like she knows like if something needs to like get done or we need to be somewhere or something needs to be like done in a timely fashion, like to use that telephone form of communication just doesn't work. So that was the beginning, yeah. um, you know, but even back then the idea that three of us would go to dinner, you know, still seemed foreign, but here we are. Um, and it's just good. I just, I, I just can't tell you, like, it just, it feels really good because it doesn't feel like, I'm not like trying to be yeah. friends with my husband's ex-wife, but like certainly um, having a role, you know, she's acknowledging the role I have in Lily's life. I've always acknowledged the role she has. She really appreciates that. And here we are. It's all good. So for those of you out there with these really fraught, like complicated situations, I mean, for me, it's been eight years. So it's not like instant by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, or 10 years almost. But it's it's all good. That is awesome. So Kevin's long term strategy of learned helplessness to manipulate you two into a friendship has totally worked. Shout out to Kevin. That's brilliant. Yes, it's paid off. (laughs) Sometimes they actually, they, the two of them will get into like an old argument and I will intervene. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's like, we're yeah. at that place now where I can be like, you guys are triggering each other. You need to knock it off. Like, because like, you know, it's just all of that angst like between me and her is gone. So I can more like yeah. readily see the angst that still exists between the two of them. And I've kind of learned how to like, 
you know, put a fork in the socket and just like stop it. And um, it's really amazing. But yeah, I mean, th- there's a difference, though, even between that and three people sitting at a restaurant together having wine and dinner. It's a very, yes. it's a, it's a yeah, new place. It's next level. Well done. Um, Isaac, what do you have for us? Triumph or fail? I have a triumph as well, but it grew out of a fail. So uh, my triumph is around uh, potty training, which is like, you know, a really fraught subject, I mm-hmm. think, for a lot of people. And y- y'all might not not know this because you have older kids, but there is this book that is sort of all the rage amongst Brooklyn. And I learned when I was out in, in the Bay Area, Bay Area parents. Uh, and it's called mm-hmm. Oh Crap. And uh, it's this book that's all the rage. <laughs> and I really cannot easily summarize my complete white hot burning fury with this book. The writing's kind of <laughs> sexist. It sort of assumes you have an attachment parenting model. The prose style is really imperious and insulting, but it promises you that if you follow its methods, you will potty train your kid in one weekend. So like when Iris was 16 months old, no, when she was sorry, uh, like uh, 26 months old, you know, we tried this method, which is like, you know, you have a naked weekend, you just put them on the potty and they kind of figure yeah. it out. And all this, right, it right. was, it was, it was a fucking disaster. It was a fucking disaster. I mean, I really like, like, I still remember vividly, I could draw from memory the incredibly pained expression on Iris's face as she, you know, peed herself for the 30 millionth time. Anyway, nothing about it worked. And it had worked for a lot of our friends, you know, which is why we tried it, but it just really didn't work for us. And so fast forward uh, over a year later, and we basically did the opposite of everything the book told us to do. The book, to give you an example, is like if you don't do this by the time they're whatever age, maybe 26 months, you are doomed, you know? Instead, you know, we did it when she was three and over three and a half and she could understand what we were saying to her. We never did a naked weekend. We just sort of put her in underpants and then she figured it out. Like, she had accidents. She didn't like how they felt. She knew what she needed to do and she just gradually did it. And, you know, we bribed her with stuff. We sort of did like everything that the convention yeah. wisdom said you you shouldn't do uh including you mean the hippies the things the hippies the said hippies you yeah exactly do. exactly <laughs> and uh uh and on top of that you know there's sort of an, uh, another sort of conventional wisdom thing these days is when they succeed you don't overpraise them because that creates pressure but actually with iris we're like that's amazing and it worked it just worked really well you know it didn't take a weekend but if you actually read that book it says that it will take anywhere from two to 14 days so uh, um it all it all worked <laughs> out really well and i i felt like you know it just reinforced for me again that you have to figure out the way that's right for you and your kid to handle this stuff whether it's sleep training or potty training or you know just any of that sort of thing like each kid is an individual and parents have an individual's you know parents have their own style as well and you just need to figure out what's going to work and in the process of doing that like if you can find a way to lighten up and not beat yourself up very much i just think it's like a lot healthier for everyone involved. And this book sort of uh, uh, stokes you into beating yourself up all the time. And so uh, right. I'm really glad we didn't listen to that book anymore and that we figured out what was right for Iris and we worked with the people at her preschool and to do it. And it, it just worked out really, really well. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huge relief. It's not easy I'm, <laughs> for her, I'm sure, as well. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, okay, so I have a Triumph too. So this is its three Triumph edition. My Triumph also comes from a fail, which is that I think it might have been last week I talked about this or maybe the week before, I don't remember, but uh, 
the morning with Ezra is terrible, blah, blah, blah. And we have to now we're like, we're leaving you at 805. And if you're not in the car, then you're just out. And that's happened actually twice since we've instituted this. We've had to leave him. Um, and he's walked to school, uh, which happens to be that he walks somewhat along the same route that his mother walks. So they can do that trip sort of halfway together, which I think he likes actually. And, and but he misses first period. And, and my fear was that it was going to be. He was going to be like, oh, this is way better. What are you talking about? Like, I don't I don't have to go to first period. I get to walk <laughs> by the lake with my mom and make small talk. Like, this is awesome. But it turns out that um, he it hasn't turned into that. He still is rushing down to get there. And he definitely, I see him running in the morning, which I never see. So that was great. Um, but when I was at the thick of it, right before we finally put down the 805 rule, what happened the day before is that he was in, got in the car super late and then was blaming everyone. It's George's fault. It's your fault, Dad. It's Mom's fault. It's not my fault. And I completely lost it on him. Like, I had just lost all patience. I completely lost my temper with this kid. And um, and it felt really bad. And I talked about that on the podcast. And um, yesterday I was thinking about it and uh, I had a little bit of time off work a tiny little window in the afternoon um, and he I knew he was walking home from school and I always know where he is because we make the kids keep their location on on the phone so we always know where they are so I know his route from school and I texted him and he walks by the lake and I said can I can I meet you under such and such a tree at such and such a time and he was like what's going on I was like I just need to talk and with you and I was like don't worry you're not you're not going to military school no one has cancer you know because like, he hates it when we're like we need to talk because he's afraid that we're going to deliver some horrible news that we're sending him off to something that he doesn't want to go to but instead I um I sat we sat down at the lake and he he talked about movies for about a half an hour which he loves talking about and cinematography and everything and then I like just delivered this, like, amends, this apology. I just was like, look, I'm like, it's the last week I really lost my temper with you. And, of course, it's frustrating about the morning, but what it really was was that I was frustrated because I couldn't get you to do what I wanted, and I was trying to use extreme emotion to basically control you. And I, like, sometimes I do that, and and it, I really shouldn't do that, and I feel like I've been really hard on you overall, and I started... Un- just opening up to him about some of the ways in which I feel like as a parent, I've been too hard on him and how it has to do with like my own issues and my own insecurities and my own fears and my own childhood and all the difficult ways that that is, you know, and how, how little of that stuff has to do with him. And I was able to like, once I said that, then I was able to like really let him know like how much I love him and believe him in, in him and how many great things I want for him and how, you know, and like, I find that, I say that stuff to him a lot, like, no, I love you. I think you're great. I think you're talented, whatever. But I always have in the back of my mind that he's he's thinking and I'm thinking that that can't really be true because you're always mad at me. Like I sort of like because he has this frustrating thing about time and making everyone late, I find and his homework and all that stuff. I find that I sort of get mad at him on some level almost every day. And I just realized like these are mixed messages for a 15-year-old kid. Like a dad saying, yeah, I love you and you're great and I believe in you and you're perfect and don't ever change and I want the world for you, which is true. And also, but every day I'm a, I'm irritated, upset or disappointed about something that he does. And so like in those times when I've said like, I love you and I think you're great, I have felt that he's going, okay, but what about all this other stuff? Hmm. And... Once I like unpacked this other stuff and like really admitted my own part in the fact that I 
like get in, in the way I get frustrated. Not denying that he does stuff that he, but he already knows the stuff he's doing. That's the thing. Like he's 15 years old. We've been having this conversation the whole time. He already knows. And so at this point, which is a point he makes sometimes when he gets frustrated with me, he's like, he's like, dad, it doesn't help if you just keep telling me, you know, and I, at the, in the, in those moments, I'm like, well, what else can I do? I'm like so mad that you're, that we're 20 minutes late because you didn't set out your clothes the night before, even though we told you to, or you can't find your key or you lost another jacket or whatever. And, um, he tells me like you telling me over and over again, doesn't help. And it's like, I know that, but I, I feel like I have to do something. And so I end up telling him again what, and it's, whether I like am angry or kind of like irritated or sort of luxury or sort of whatever, or, or even like kind of playful about it. The point is I keep nagging him and it's not helping. And like, I like want my first impulse as a parent is to blame that on him. Well, it's because you don't listen. And if you don't, and just, I'm like, what am I doing? This is not the relationship I want with him. And so we sat by the lake and it was like very picturesque, freaking beautiful day. Sun is out. People are like, there's sailboats in the lake there's geese you know it's like kids and we just had this really like serious conversation about that stuff and then he started asking me about my childhood in ways that he hasn't before and uh we had it like the conversation was just great and uh we talked for like an hour and a half and of course i was late to my next appointment because (laughs) it went longer than it should have (laughs) but it was absolutely i was absolutely happy (laughs) <laughs> and and that that's wonderful. amazing. And when when was that? Did you say that was like just yesterday uh, or a couple days ago? This was yesterday. Yesterday, got I it, had this got conversation it, with him yesterday yeah. afternoon. Yeah, it'll be really fascinating to see how what changes as a result of that over the next you know time. Yeah, it will. It will. And this is another thing where I have to give a shout out to Joe because she she has been, I mean, she also has her, like we, one good thing about our thing is that we sort of recognize each other's parenting shortcomings and we've gotten to a point where we, where we no longer weaponize those, but you know, we're, we've gotten good at knowing how to bring them up. And she has her own set of things that I get to say, Hey, you know, I couldn't help noticing or waiting for her to come to me and say, well, if you want my opinion, mm-hmm. this is the thing. Um, she has said gently a couple of times has said the same thing. Like, you know, I feel like you, you get frustrated with him and of course it's frustrating, but the way she said it was like, basically you're, you're getting in, you're arguing with a crazy person. (laughs) Like him getting in the car 10 minutes, 20 minutes late because he lost all his stuff and then blaming everyone. He's a crazy person in that moment. And if you argue with him, you're arguing with a crazy person and that's a no win situation. And I was like, you know, so that she's been on that for a while and I feel like I finally like internalized it. So Wow. That's Things nice. can be resolved. Yeah. Um, we make mistakes and we can recover from them if we just keep trying every day is kind of what I learned with teenagers. <laughs> when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
All right. Uh, before we move on, let's do the business. As always, if you have questions you'd like us to answer on air, leave us a message at 424-255-7833, or you can email us at momanddadatslate.com. As a reminder, we've moved our Facebook presence. Our group is so much more fun and active now. Every episode has a really rousing discussion, and it's a great place to talk about your own triumphs and fails, commiserate with other parents, or talk about the show, or interact with Gabe more than you can anywhere else because he loves that <laughs> Get into <site>. debates. Uh, <laughs> he get into debate, fight with Gabe. <laughs> um, just, just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. It's a really fun community. We do moderate it so it doesn't get out of hand, and like no one who follows us is an asshole, which is... An amazing thing for a community of that size. And in Slate Plus today, we'll take a listener question about teaching your kids values that you yourself don't actually live by. To hear segments like that and to get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus is a great way to help support us. For just $35 for your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing Mom and Dad are Fighting and all of your other favorite Slate shows. And of course, in return, you'll get an extended ad-free version of this show and other great Slate shows and a ton of other great benefits. So if you'd like to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, go to slate.com slash plus and join Slate Plus today. Okay. Let's go. Our first question was emailed to us at slate.com and it's being read for us by Lena Wilson, our browbeat intern. Dear Mom and Dad, I have two very young kids, 17 months and four months. I don't have many friends in the area with kids, so from the time I found out I was pregnant with my first, I've been trying different activities to meet local parents. Prenatal yoga, a neighborhood parents' email list, new moms groups, various kids' activities, etc., I've just been nothing but disappointed in the other parents I've met. It seems like having kids simply provides parents with an excuse to behave badly, and no one seems interested in any actual new parent bonding and commiserating. My new mom's group was a total bust. People just wanted their turn to talk about themselves, and no one could be bothered to listen to the rest of the group. New parent meetups orchestrated through the neighborhood email list fizzle at the last minute when people flake with flimsy excuses. Families routinely show up 15 to 20 minutes late for a 45-minute music activity class. A few weeks ago, we signed up for a group intended for toddlers turning two this year. There were 16 spots and a wait list with other interested families. Already, the group is down to 12 kids, and three of the remaining sets of parents haven't responded to any emails or calls regarding scheduling. Is this a real phenomenon, or am I way too sensitive? Should I be more generous about the problems and challenges other new parents are facing? It's not like I don't also have my hands full, but I still feel a personal responsibility for being places on time, following through on my commitments, and treating the other people around me with respect, things I hope to be modeling for my children. What else can I try in my quest to build a few meaningful parent friendships? Help! (laughs) (laughs) I love this question. It reminds me of, um, I, I I joined a baby group I did run a couple of baby groups when Henry was first born and it took a while to find one that was like kind of a fit. And I knew it was a fit on day one when two women walked in and one of them, I was pregnant with Teddy at the time, uh, also was pregnant. And she, like me, was the only other mom in the group wearing lipstick. And the other one who walked in uh, (laughs) came in and she had like a McDonald's bag in her hands and like all the other moms, aside from the lipstick one, were like, ooh, like we would never let our kids eat that. And she's like, well, it's a good thing that my kid's mom isn't you then. And like that was it. And like she and I, and so that those two 
two women and I, like, we are friends to this day. Like, yeah. we just found our people, um, and we, like, were part of this group, and we did things together as a group, and we would have outings, and, you know, we'd kind of rotate people's houses to have get-togethers and playdates. But there was definitely a much smaller core group of friends, for me, that was formed in this group. And there were other, like, little subgroups like that, too. And that, to me, sounds like what you're experiencing. You just haven't found your people yet. Because the fact that you all yeah. have kids that are the same age doesn't mean you would have been friends if you weren't in that situation. And yep. you really just need to find the people that you would have been friends with anyway, <laughs> despite the fact, you know, they have kids your age or not. And it sounds to me like you just haven't found those people yet. Or maybe you're not looking for that experience uh, in the right way. Maybe you're thinking that you'll have everything in common with all these people just because you happen to have kids all the same age. But it's just like any other situation, like you won't, you still need to find your people. Um, I think even in these larger groups of people with with little kids. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, my my uh, wife was in a mom's, a prenatal mom's group or, you know, you know, um, uh, and I think there's one couple from that group that we're still in touch with. Do you know what I mean? And we're still in touch with them largely because we use the same playground and our kids <laughs> take our kids play soccer together. You know what I mean? And so then we've like over time discovered that we didn't have an instant chemistry with them, but over time we've discovered the the things we have in common. Yeah, I I, I feel like I totally sympathize with a couple things here. One of them is the frustration when people make an explicit commitment to do something and then don't do it. That is a pet peeve of mine. It drives me up the wall. I often have to work very hard not to express how angry I am when that happens. Uh, uh, and the other thing is just like, it's hard to meet people and it's hard to make friends. That's just true, you know? And um, I feel like from our own experience, from from Anna and my experience with Iris, you know, part of this starts to take care of itself when the kid is in a group childcare setting outside the home, whatever that may be. Do you know what I mean? And that might be soon because it's daycare or that might be a while from now because it's kindergarten. But you immediately meet a lot of kids and their parents and it just becomes a lot easier to find your people through that. Uh, I would also say that like Iris's, one of Iris's best friend and uh, best friends and his parents have become very close friends of Anne and mine, we just met on the playground, you know? Mm. Um, we met in a very informal way. Our kids were playing together. We got to talking, and then all of a sudden we discovered we had all this stuff in common and we became friends. So there are ways to do it that aren't as formal and structured, I would say. But the the other thing is that, you know, like – it's hard to keep your shit together when you have a little kid. And, you know, even under the best of circumstances, people are going to be late for things or people are going to commit to things that they then can't do be with what feels like a flimsy excuse just because having kids can be really overwhelming. And so I, I do think that it will make that process uh, uh, of making those friends easier if this person who's asking us for help can, can find ways to not get... Um, qu quite so upset or maybe take it quite so personally when that happens. Yeah. I mean, it's it, like you guys kind of like summarized both of your points, exactly what I felt about this. Like I feel it's a little bit like a person um, coming in from another culture and just not like understanding the rules of the existing culture a little bit. You know, it feels a little bit like um, the kind of stereotype of like the rich Western tourist who like goes to another country and is mad because things aren't happening on time and is kind of yelling at everyone. Uh, it's not that extreme and oppressive, but it's a similar structure because I feel like the world of like parents with like kids at home is a messy and unsatisfying one socially. 
That's just the facts of the case, yeah. I think. That's yep. what I remember from our experiences. It's just a messy and unsatisfying one. And it's messy and unsatisfying for a couple of reasons. Number one, no one is sleeping enough. Everyone's overwhelmed. People are seriously questioning their life choices. It's terrible. Everyone's got like poop and throw up on their clothes and so on and so forth. We know all that. There's judginess. And then on top of Yeah, and, and there's judginess <laughs> and there's pressure. And on top of all that, here's this crew of people who have been thrown together who, like as has been pointed out, these are people who normally would not mix. With some of these people, literally the only thing you have in common is that you can see you 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 like got a child in your life at the same time. That's literally the only thing you have in common. And it's while that seems like a big thing that should be a bonding point, a lot of times we find that it just isn't. And I think that there has to be some this person I think has to kind of wear this whole situation a little bit like a loose garment. Like if the expectation is that you're going to go in there and you're going to find like the dopest parenting community of all and people are just <laughs> going to be like linked up and everyone's going to be down for everyone and everyone's going to be at everyone's house cooking for everyone and singing and dancing in the kitchen while the kids play. That is not uh, that may happen, but it's far more likely that things are just going to kind of be messy and weird. And I think if you can stay like the the essential question here is like. Should I keep giving this thing a shot or, you know, am I being too sensitive versus the real phenomenon? Should I be more generous or, um, you know, what else can I try in my quest to build a few meaningful parenting friendships? I think you have to give it some time. You have to let it unfold because I, I do agree that it's highly likely that you'll find one or two people that you actually connect to more than the others. And that's exactly what happened to us. Like we had a, when we lived in LA, our kids were little, this was parenting co-op and we got involved in the co-op and we were there. And there were, you know, like there were a couple of main events that everyone would go to. Like there was a Friday thing called, <laughs> called wine and wine, which is like basically wine and toddlers. And, uh, and so one of those wines that, is with an H and one of them is without. One of those wines is with Got an it, H. Okay. It's, yes. It's, it's great branding. And, uh, we loved wine and wine. Everyone would bring food. The kids would run around and, you know, and then two hours later people would be melting down and we'd have to go. And, uh, Everyone was at those wine and wines and some people that we were super tight with and some people that every time they talked, me and Joe would look at each other like, who is this person and what are they talking about? (laughs) (laughs) But there were other people, there were like one or two families there, just like Rebecca said, that we actually super duper bonded with and who we're still friends with to this day. And our kids are still friends with them, even though they live in LA and they still remain in touch over like social media and whatnot. And uh, that's how it seems to work. And so I would say you can chillax a little bit. You really can. Like, let these people be late. People are late because it's hard. You can let these people not be the kind of people that you want them to be because why would they be the person you envision? They're just some random person who happens (laughs) to have a kid at the same time you do. Totally. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. But just, like, just roll with it, and I think you'll find, I think you'll find somewhere along the way some people that you actually feel like you can connect to as friends. Yeah, you'll find the fellow person who's also really annoyed by lateness and also really annoyed by the yeah. things you're annoyed with. Like, you'll find that person, you know. Meanwhile, like, just if, if you haven't found those p- a person yet, it's it totally is okay. And also, you could learn something, too, from, from the people who aren't exactly the <laughs> right. way you wish they would be. Totally. Sometimes they have something to offer that's surprising, even if you don't end up becoming BFFs. 
Yeah. yeah and, you know, sometimes I will also say that, you know, sometimes you'll meet people, your kids will get along and then you'll get along with them and you'll have all this stuff in common. But, you know, their parenting style won't necessarily completely match yours either. You know, like like the 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 sort of more chill about a lot of this stuff that one can be, the easier it is to make those kinds of lasting friendships. That's right. Yeah. For our next question, we wade into the debate from our Facebook page about what name grandma should be called and how to choose it. This question will be read by Lena Wilson, our browbeat intern. Dear mom and dad, my husband and I are expecting our first baby. My mother-in-law was originally going to be grandma because all the grandparents on my husband's side go by grandma and grandpa. Easy. Now, my mother-in-law is adamant that she wants to go by nama. It's random and I'm not a fan. My husband absolutely hates it. He refuses to have our children call his mother Nama. My mother-in-law told me that he'll just have to deal with it. I'm just curious how this all works. This is obviously new territory for us. Thanks, Laura. There's a great dialectic at work in this uh, Hundreds yeah, of comments. Is. As of this taping, we're up to 180 comments on this post. People are it's fired crazy. the fuck up over this. Yeah. I was fired up. Um, I get it. <laughs> well, give it to us, Rebecca. Yeah, give what us you the got? fire. All right. Here's my take on it. And yeah, here's my take. Um, Sometimes there are really interesting and cool cultural reasons why kids have special names for their grandparents. And that's organic because like, for instance, where my father-in-law came from, he's Irish. Uh, A lot of grandfathers are called Da. So that's what all the kids call him in their family. Sometimes there are cute and organic reasons for grandparents to be called by different names because of the uh, pronunciation issues that little kids have uh, around trying to say grandma and grandpa or sometimes something, they just say something cute and it just sticks. Um, Both of those things, I'm pushing those aside because to me those are fine. To me, this new tradition of grandparents choosing what they're going to be called like before kids are born, like giving themselves a moniker is frankly a super weird and narcissistic display of intrusion into this unborn child's life that I do not understand at all. There are plenty of people in the Facebook group right now saying like, She can be called when she wants to be called. It's no big deal. That's fine. Whatever. But I'm like, but why? Why, why, why? It's inaccurate, first of all. You are actually a grandparent. You are a grandma or a grandpa. Like, that's what you are. Uh, Second, like, I don't, you know, parents don't do that. Like, why do grandparents do that? Third, it seems like very specifically, like, of a certain time and place and, dare I say, sort of boomeresque generational thing to be like, I need to be the only grandmother in the world who is called by this one special thing that has to be different than what all my friends who are grandmas are called. And it's got to be different than what all the other grandmas in the family are called. And it just seems like some stupid fucking baggage that an unborn baby does not need before they even arrive on the planet, much less what their parents don't need before they arrive on the planet. Like, okay, now we have to like rename everyone in the family it's just it's like come on it's just stupid i don't get it i think it's intrusive and narcissistic and complete bullshit and i wish it would just stop that's how i feel about it is that strong is you I brought just, the heat such so what are you saying <laughs> you, you brought yeah. the heat hot take yeah we need to like we need drops now we need like my a sizzle eyebrow, drop my eyebrows have singed <laughs> off after the end of that that answer okay so um rebecca I've never heard you be more wrong about anything in my entire life. This is the most embarrassing take. I honestly don't think I can work with you anymore. This is, okay. this is, it's over. It's so, over. no, I don't, so I don't, this, so everyone's, everyone was saying that on the Facebook page, like, this is narcissistic. And I'm like, okay, yeah, oh, fine. It's a little narcissistic, sure. 
I just think everyone is mad at boomers right now for a lot of reasons, and everyone's mad at their parents, and so we don't like it. But I'm just like, so what? Like, honestly, so what? Like, I cannot see why it's an issue. It's not It's not baggage for the kid. It's not like some kind of difficulty for the kid. The kid comes into the world. They learn everyone's names. They learn this person's name is Nama or Nama or whatever it's called, which I happen to think is stupid sounding, but who cares? So it's all stupid sounding. <clears throat> it is, but that's not a, that's not the point. I do think that as a grandparent, you get to, I think that you, I don't think you have to, but I think it's okay if you decide that this is what you want the kids to call you. My father decided to be called Pop Pop. That's what he's called. He just announced. But that's a common moniker for grandpa. Okay, but it doesn't matter. But why does that matter? Why does it matter that that's common and not, and the other one isn't? Like, I mean, it's if you were to do a pie chart of all the names for grandparents, there'd be a lot of like, you know, there should be a long tail of names that like are specific to one family, Gima or like whatever the hell, <laughs> Gapop or whatever <laughs> shit people come up with. So like, it's okay if there's a grandparent name that isn't the same, that isn't like in the grand, you know, isn't popularly represented in the grand pantheon of grandparent names. I don't see a problem with this. I just think there's a lot of like weird parental resentment. I think you do a resentment of parents at their own parents. I do think that as a grandparent you get that is one of the things you get because you just you get that i mean you just get it and i think that there's a much that there is a big issue here where is i mean i do think it's a little narcissistic to insist on it if other people have a problem with it but i also think it's a little weird to have a problem with it like <laughs> why of all the things right because a it's a slippery with, is slope this the thing until what? This this is why Iris calls my dad a closet full of taxidermied birds, and that is his preferred <laughs> name. And that's that's where he goes by. Um, I, I, this, I I feel it's so funny. I'm a middle child, so I feel torn between the two of you. My feeling is, you Mom know, and dad are fighting. Exactly. Uh, uh, I, seriously though, my mother-in-law goes by. Uh, BB, which is an abstraction of a nickname that Ann had for her when Ann was growing up, and um, uh, and you know we just asked our grand, we just asked our parents what they wanted. That's to be organic, called and, and yes, sure, and uh, uh, it's artisanal, it's organic, it's it's great. And and my parents were like, eh, Grandma, Grandpa, what is this fine. thing with organic? And well, Sorry, go ahead. but but this is what I feel. There's two different issues going on. Part of me is just like. Who who cares what your what what she wants to be called? She wants to be called Nama. Great, that's not that difficult. Just like like I, I don't see what the big deal is there. However, I will say by her saying, "Well, he, meaning my son, will just have to deal with it when he has requested that she do something else." In terms of the kid, like that's the part that then I would get angry about if that makes mm. any sense. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So there's sort of, to me, there's two separate issues. Hmm. One is the name and one has to do with boundaries of authority and yes, narcissism between the grandparents, the expecting parents and the, and the kid. And yep. so, um, uh, I, to the extent that those can be separated out and dealt with, or at least the emotions around those two things can be separated into their different containers and dealt with it, it would probably be, be helpful, but maybe again, this is the like good son, middle child thing i'm just like just 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 cave on this and then have the big fight over something important <laughs> well I, I, it's very relationship dependent obviously but when i say it's a slippery slope that's what i'm talking about because right. that's the part of the question that really triggered me because this to me is the same kind of attitude that has grandparents insisting that they have a right to be in the delivery room because that's what you know that's what i have i'm a grandmother i have a right to be there the bottom line is, and you said Carvel, like when you're a grandparent, this, which, this is one of the things you get. You actually 
aren't entitled to get anything when you are a grandparent. Your child is having a child. If you have a solid and good and fun relationship where this like artificial construct of making up fake ass grandparent names is cool with you, that's fine. That's wonderful. <laughs> if that's what your family looks like. But if that's not what your family looks like, if you don't want that for your kids, if you don't want them to call other people by some artificial fake made up name that was only made up for this one purpose, if you like, if that's not a value that you're cool with, if you think it's stupid, as a parent, you absolutely should be able to draw that boundary if you want to and say like, you know what, mom, that's just stupid. I just, I'd prefer not. Can we just see what she calls you? And if you want to pitch her a couple names when she's actually alive and can talk, you guys can work it out. But to like do this before she's even born and is participating in the conversation, I don't know. To me, that is the slippery slope. It is to me the same attitude that says when the kids at my house, like they get to, uh, you know, do X, something that is like really against something that you value. I'm not talking about like eating M&Ms versus not eating M&Ms. I'm talking about like, you know, more significant things because that is where that but intrusion, that's, but, that sort of like okay. boundary like right, issue but that's your really point, though. triggers me. Okay, but that's your point, though. Let's you you said you're not talking about eating M and M's versus not eating M and M's, right? So, right. like, on the eating M and M's versus not eating M and M's issue, that's not a slippery slope, right? The it's not like if I if I get grandma the kid is choosing M and M's. This kid is not choosing this because, like, they're not alive yet. But the kid is not choosing any name. Kids don't. I mean, kids don't choose names for their grandparents necessarily. That's not like there's no rule that says well the kids got. It's not like. You, the kid has to point to a thing and that's their career. Right. Like it's some kind of, you know what I mean? Like the kids, we, we say, we, we give the kids names for grandparents, right? We say, we're going to see grandma today. We're going to see pop pop mm -hmm. today. We're going to see mm -hmm. Mima today or whatever. Like we're, we're, we already do that. So like the problem isn't that, that, that we are, that the parents, that the adults are forcing a name on the kid. The problem is that the grandmother is choosing the name and not the mom. No, the and problem me, is that the grandmother's choosing the name for no reason, except that she wants to be cool and special and different. And that's just weird. What else? It's weird to me. I don't and know And it triggers that that's, me. I'm sorry. How do you I know, know that that's I know, her reason? I, I, I know. It does. I know. I, that. I know. This how do you is know one of those things reason? that's like, it's a me thing. Maybe it's just a me. Well, I know it's not just a me thing. A lot of people on the page were kind of in the same situation that I was in where they just- Well, I think it's a I, me I, thing for a lot of people on the page. That's what I think. I do. Because I do think there is a certain kind of resentment here that I am missing out on on some level. That yeah. I, I don't feel like I'm not even saying it's wrong, but I, I think that a lot of it has to do with like a personal resentment about our own parents that I'm currently missing out on at some level. Right. And I the me thing for, for me is the just the mother in law's response of like right. not not respecting the request help. once it's once it's made. That's the thing that like gets my that's right. it didn't up. help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it didn't that's help. Lame. And that's that's, lame. that's no really that. to me what it it often, I don't want to say not always, it seems to come down to this. Like the grandmas are making a choice. And everyone just has to like live with. And if your family is completely cool with it and you have such a wonderful relationship that this just seems like a super bullshit thing for anyone to care about and like you're cool with it, that's fine. But I do feel like if it does matter to you as a parent, like the boundary, the boundaries with grandparents is a problem sometimes. It really is. And it if if this isn't something that you guys can have a conversation about now, where you're like, you know what, I wouldn't it be better if we do it a different way or come up with something that we all feel comfortable just because because by the bottom line is like the mom has to say the word all the time too because she's gonna be like we're gonna go to Nama's house or whatever and she's like I don't want to say that it's stupid like I don't know I feel like she should have a a voice if she wants to if she doesn't want to think that's not a big deal like I'm envious of all the people who say who cares just let her have it whatever I'm envious of that I wish I felt that way but I just don't mm. I don't mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm a boundary drawer. <laughs> 
Okay, if you want to continue arguing with us over this very heated topic, um, <laughs> by all means, go to the Slate Parenting Group uh, on our Facebook page and weigh in. Uh, and, uh, yeah, keep keep the fire burning, all of us. <laughs> Nama. <laughs> Nama. Uh, it, it sounds like a science fiction. It sounds like something. It so sounds like stupid. a race of people in Star Trek. <laughs> you know For we Nama. defeated the Nama in the Battle of Zelthor. <laughs> using the cube of light that has been lost from our people ever since. But the cube has a will of its own, and it has summoned you here today. Now is the time for recommendations. Rebecca, what you got? I would like to recommend, um, even though, a caveat, I'm slightly dissatisfied with the rapidity which, with, with which it was wrapped up. Uh, the last few episodes of the season of this season of Blackish, which uh, confronted a fissure in the relationship of Dre and Bo, the parents on that show. Mm. Um, the reason I'm recommending it so highly is because. There were some portions of it that were so resonant with me that when my son called me from Washington, D.C. and like asked me what was going on that week, all I could talk about was the fact that Dre and Bo were breaking up as if it were happening in my own family. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was it was just it, it granted the show is a fantasy. These people uh, don't have any money issues whatsoever. So like some of the other conversations that happen around a potential breakup were not addressed. But the issue at the heart of the problems with this couple um, isn't that, you know, there's some big fissure, there's some big disagreement, there's an affair. It is just the very, very natural and organic and incredibly relatable tiny little chips that happen uh, in relationships when people just start mm. to despise each other a little bit and talk to each mm. other derisively and just not be able to get on the same page and just be out of sync. And it played out over like a four episode arc and it was heartbreaking, but also like really well done in terms of the way they portrayed the effect on the family and the kids. And there was a, a lot of point of view kid stuff that, um, yes, again, it was a fantasy and very Hollywood and very beautiful and it kind of wrapped up very neatly, but also just really, really great. And it got us talking in our house a lot about adult relationships and how, you know, this whole thing uh, of divorce for kids, they usually don't find out that a divorce is happening or breakup is happening until it's happening. And they're yeah. uh, maybe aware of the other dynamics. So for them, it's like this one big event, but that for adults, it's a series of daily, sometimes hourly, tiny events that cause relationships to fracture. And I just thought the show handled it so well and uh, with so much tact and taste. And I really recommend if you're interested in having your really meaningful relationship with your kids about adult relationships and how complicated they are, these few episodes of Blackish for me just completely knocked it out of the park. And also broke my heart, which is like very difficult for a sitcom to do authentically and well. And mm. they, they really did it. So I, I can't recommend them highly enough. Awesome. Isaac, what do you got? I also have a TV show. So, you know, uh, television geared towards kids who are around three or four years old is um, 
often horrible and uh, makes a you vapid wasteland. A vapid wasteland. Yeah. Suffering. Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's like um, it it's like a candy colored Hieronymus Bosch painting. And uh, <laughs> but you know, I uh, yeah, that's so good. Have you been working on that? Because that is sharp material. No, I was just yes anding your vapid wasteland. That is really good. Yeah, there you go. But well done. Thank you. Well Thank done. you. Thank you. My work here is done. <laughs> I won't even do the recommendation. I'll just show myself out. The um, but you know there is a so one of the shows that sort of lots of kids around Iris's age watches, of course, Peppa Pig, right? Which is this English Mm -hmm. show. You know, if you don't know it, it's a show from England. It's also a series of books where like this little girl who's a pig has a series of sort of very mundane adventures. Like she goes and has a picnic with her family or learns how to dance ballet or whatever. But there is there. It's a kids love it. It's a frustrating show. But there is also a show. The reason why I mention it is that on Netflix, there is this show called Sarah and Duck, which is like if Ionesco wrote Peppa Pig. It is this bizarre, absurdist parody of Peppa Pig where they take all the formal elements of Peppa Pig and then make them completely bizarre and nonsensical. So, for example, Peppa Pig's theme song is the um, woman who plays Peppa Pig singing Peppa Pig's name over and over and over again with oinking noises. Sarah and Duck's theme song is the narrator going, Sarah and Duck, and then a quacking sound. Four times. That's the entire theme song. Right. And, uh, you know, like they both have incredibly intrusive narrators, but Sarah can hear the narrator and argues with him all the time about the instructions he's giving her or the judgment he has over what's what she's doing. And Peppa's sidekick is her younger brother. But Sarah's sidekick is literally just a duck. Right. And none of their adventures make any sense. One of the other characters (laughs) in the show is a singing family of onions that follow her around. And so it just has this like completely loopy, joyous sensibility that is far more similar to how kids actually tell stories when they're that age, you know, Mm. where just like crazy stuff is happening and everything that happened in their day is filtered through this weird sensibility. And, you know, the jokes don't always make sense, but they still work as jokes. And there's just something like really delightful and absurd about it. Uh, It's not trying to teach your kids anything. It has no, you know, values to impart to them. It's just this kind of weird, absurd, funhouse mirror version of the other show that they already watch. Hmm. Awesome. That is awesome. So if you, like Isaac, want to teach your kid to be a Romanian-French avant-garde theater maker, then that's what you <laughs> that's what you do. And who doesn't? Uh, <laughs> and who doesn't? I mean, come on. Um, all right, my, recommenda- my recommendation is something much simpler and lower of the brow. I'm recommending... An old book from 1960, uh, one of the bright and early board books, which I'm sure everyone has read, but if you haven't obtained it immediately, it is called Are You My Mother? And uh, the plot of Are You My Mother is uh, a little bird is hatched while his mother has gone off to seek food for him, feeling that his hatch is imminent, and he wakes up and his mother's gone. And he goes, well, what's going on here? And then he launches out into the world himself to see if he can find who his mother is, but he's never seen his mother, so he has no idea what his mother is. And so he keeps going to different objects and animals and plants, asking if they're his mother, and none of them are. And of course, he is reunited with his mother. And there's something about the telling of this book that I used to love so much when I was a kid, and my my therapist, I'm sure, can tell you all about that. But putting that aside, um, I read it when I used to read it to our kids. It's just the pace of storytelling. um, The kind, It's sort of like, it's got incredible pathos because at this core of it is like a kid 
who can't find his mother. But it's it's like enough pathos for that to land, but it's also treated lightly enough that it doesn't feel devastating. It just feels exciting and interesting, and the drawings are great, and the whole thing is funny. And so that's the book I'm recommending, Are You My Mother? The Board Book by P.D. Eastman. It's a great one. It's a great one. And next to like all the super depressing books for kids that came out in the same era, like Sylvester and the Magic Pebble, which is also beautiful. Oh my God, Sylvester and the Magic Pebble. And the the Giving Tree. Like this one at least has like the snort machine and like some humor. The snort machine is the best. Yes, (laughs) it's the best. No, this is good recommendation. That's That's a really good point. All right. Um, Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Benjamin Frisch. The homepage for this show is slate.com slash mom and dad. If you have a question you'd like to ask us on air, leave us a message at 424-255-7833. And you can also join us on Facebook by searching Slate Parenting on Facebook. For Rebecca Lavoie and Isaac Butler, I'm Carvel Wallace, and we'll see you next week. Hold up. 